You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Mark Beckton at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia on December 20th, 2020. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. Father, there is no way we could experience your peace without you coming as Christ. So, Father, we are grateful to you this day for the peace that we have solely and only in you. And I thank you, Father, that you do not grow weary in reminding me, having to tell me again and again and again, my peace is secure in you. So, Father, as we take time now to to see the beauty of this in your word, for each of us who are followers gathered here or are watching at home, I pray, Father, that you fill us with your spirit and open our eyes and awareness to what you know we need to hear through your word. Praise you that you are going to speak it in real time, knowing where each of us are. And what you're wanting to say. So I praise you, Father, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and be seated as you're being seated. Reach for your Bibles and find John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As we've been going through Advent, talking about our hope in Christ, the joy we have in Christ, the love of Christ extended to us that we also have the joy to extend out. In Advent, we also need to talk about peace, and I cannot think of a better season to talk about peace than today. Because for me, 2020 has been an unprecedented year. Uh, Candidly, There have been times in human history when illness has swept a people. We've heard of things such as typhoid, tuberculosis, scarlet fever, malaria, all these things. And yet we hear about them, we say them today, but we don't shudder. We don't cringe because there's been vaccinations and history to know how to take care of that. But in 2020, we have the word COVID. We say it and it's as though our muscles grip our bones, COVID. And rightfully so in some respects because it has affected us. There was a season of great shutdown where businesses were shut down, restaurants closed. You go to the grocery store, you can't even find toilet paper or Lysol. If it's going to become our new currency. Give your roll of Charmin for some eggs. It's just the unknown of all of that. So we have all of that, and then we get hit with the racial tension. And it was overwhelming. Where in a season, it felt as if we couldn't even discern, is this a riot or is this a demonstration? And the, the former opinions are now becoming divisive convictions where lines are being drawn Fingers are being pointed, and it's extremely uncomfortable, even to have a conversation. 
And all of this happens in 2020, which is a year we elect a new president of the United States. Most of those years, it's already ugly to begin with, but this year just felt even more toxic. So I told Lori, I feel like I'm a walking blister. All of this is just around me, rubbing on me, and anything else that touches me is ugh. And all of us have felt this. And I haven't even begun to touch your world as far as personally. Having had the privilege to pastor a people for now nearly 40 years, I know what it's like to come to the end of the year and then start a new year and to look back over the changes that happened that were unexpected. We just mentioned the, the Charles that we've prayed for and loved and the loss of Athena. But there are others as well. Adults who have passed, parents, friends. And that was a change unexpected. Or there are others who've wanted there to be change in 2020. Wanted circumstance in life to be different by the end of the year. And coming to the end of the year just feels like it's no different. So it seems a perfect time for us to look at Scripture, at what Scripture says about the peace Christ provides. Because in John chapter 14, in verses 25 through 27, Christ is going to speak about peace to his now remaining 11. Look what he says about it. He tells them in John chapter 14, verses 25 and following, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. With that said, let's, let's dive into the promise that Christ has made. I, I want to clarify some things because we can make some assumptions that are not there. I want us to talk about this promise and what it is, and also let's talk about what it is not. First of all, the promise is fairly clear that Christ will give us peace when troubled. Those two words in the Greek are a beautiful word picture, because when you see the word troubled, it really describes someone who's been agitated. That's what the word to trouble means here, to agitate. But the word peace is the opposite picture. It literally means to calm. And when you want to see these in action together, the best way is the word picture of the seas, the oceans. You and I know what it would look like when the oceans have been agitated. Storms have come. Winds have come. And then suddenly the, the waves are crashing. But in contrast, we also know what it's like on a beautiful day. No winds. And the seas are like glass. That is the contrast, and Christ is promising the calm when our hearts are unsettled. So let's talk about our hearts. 
I don't want your heart to be troubled, Christ said. Anytime in the New Testament when the word heart appears, our, our first thought is to go to the organ in our body that pumps the blood. But when it's used in the New Testament, it's really seen more as the, the control tower, the, the control center. In some respects, a, a, a traffic control for the airport where everything is coming in emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It's talking about your entire being. And Christ is saying, I do not want your being agitated, disturbed, troubled. I want your being to experience the settling, the calm. When Christ is saying this, he speaks from experience. For surprisingly, he knows what it's like to experience that agitation, the troubling. Several chapters earlier in John chapter 11, Christ has already been told that his good friend Lazarus is ill and he refuses to head to Bethany in order to grant healing because he knows the Father has purposed not only his illness but his death in order to glorify himself. So he waits four days and then he arrives fully knowing he's about to bring Lazarus back from the dead and yet he encounters Martha who is very agitated. If you had been here he would not have died. Then he encounters Mary as they move toward the tomb and others with Mary. And you see his reaction to all of this in John chapter 11, verse 33, where it describes, When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now that was surprising. Because in my mind, I often thought, well, if I'm experiencing this agitation, if I'm experiencing this troubled unsettledness, there's got to be something wrong with me. Sometimes this is purely what you are experiencing with others that you are hurting with. Here is Christ, troubled. But he's not sinned. But he knows what it's like to have that troubledness within. And therefore, he also knows how to provide So let's talk about what this promise is not. The promise is not to suddenly protect us from troubled times so that we can have peace. Again, in my mindset, that's often what I would rather have him do. Just protect me from the pain. Protect me from the illness. Protect me from the unknown or the uncertainty. Just give me the bubble. But actually, the Father purpose is the opposite. Now, you're already in John chapter 14. I want you to stay there, save it, but go to John chapter 17. And though it is several chapters further on, it's still the same night. The very night that Christ has told his 11, I don't want your heart to be troubled. He's now going to pray for them this prayer. And listen to what he prays in John 17 verses 13 through 18. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, 
just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Honestly, when the Father opens our eyes to our sin before him, his holiness and the sweetness of his grace, when the Father adopts us so beautifully, we really expect him to protect us. We'd love for him to simply save us and beam us up. Yeah. My, uh, my two sons, the father was kind in opening their eyes when they were young, and they became followers uh, early in life. I must have been teaching on the second coming of Christ because they were both in early elementary school, and they talked to me separately. I can remember John Mark saying, uh, Dad, when we do get to heaven... Is all we're going to do is sing? John Mark was a type. He woke up every morning asking the Lord, what are we going to do today? He was always ready for a great adventure. Lee, on the other hand, he came to me and said, Dad, I know Jesus is going to return. It's going to be wonderful. But I sure hope he waits until I'm married and have children of my own. I would really like to enjoy my own family. Now, it's these sweet pictures that we have. But candidly, the Father does not beam us up to heaven once we are saved, does not put us in a bubble. Christ says, I pray that you do not take them from the world. So let's understand the world he's talking about. We're talking about the order that is currently in place. It is a fallen world. It is a fallen world that has disease. It is a fallen world that because of that disease, we all experience death. It's a fallen world where there is deception. The evil one that Christ has prayed about, he really has blinded the eyes and blinded the minds of the vast majorities to the holiness of God, the truth of who Christ is, and even to know the sweetness of submission to him. So we're going to live in a world where all of this is swimming around us. Why would not our being be troubled in the midst of this? But also... Christ is going to, in about 40 days from this night, call those 11 and other followers, and also then you and me, to follow after him. In John chapter 20, verse 21, this is basically the Great Commission, the Gospel of John. And, and Christ is then appearing before his followers, and he says, Peace with you. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. So this is part of our purpose in remaining in the world that Christ has said, don't take them from. As the Father has sent me into it, now I'm sending you into it. So how did the Father send Christ into it? In John chapter 1, in verses 1 through 5, it's basically the Christmas story from the Gospel of John. It doesn't start with Bethlehem, it starts before the beginning. Verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things are made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that's been made. In Him is life, and that life is the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. This is all talking about the Word, so who is the Word? Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So this is how Christ was sent in Philippians chapter 2. He gave up his, his holy appearance and recognition in order to take on humanity's flesh and be unrecognized here for the sake that we might know that peace that comes from the Father through salvation. But he also did this by displaying who he is by making his dwelling among us. Candidly, as a, a follower just like you, there are days I just live to gather with other believers. Like-minded, like-hearted, just to be able to breathe. Because of the world in which we live. But the other side is this. We've been asked by Christ, commissioned by Christ, compelled by Christ. To not be huddled in protection. But to be sent as Christ into this world. To be like Christ that in our life, we would be like him displaying the fullness of grace and truth. So let's talk about the tension that gives us, and <laughs> how that unsettles us as well. Uh, when Christ says us to be sent out in the fullness of grace and truth, it goes back to this verse, verse 14, where you see that it, Christ doesn't say, I want you to go out in the balance of grace and truth. In this moment, am I going to be more gracious, or am I going to be more, more truth-telling? I, I want to find the balance in this. It's not the balance. In Christ, at all times, you get the fullness of both. So in Christ, you have one who does not compromise the truth in order to offer grace. But neither does he withhold grace when speaking the truth. In Christ, you get the fullness of both in all settings. My challenge as one trying to be like Christ is I'm still trying to figure out I would really just like to lambast with truth and not have the grace. Or I'd like to offer the grace, but uh, I know that this is going to be hard because. And there is tension constantly wanting to be like Christ doing this. Randy Alcorn in his book, The Grace and Truth Paradox, I really recommend it's a short read says that when you're following after Christ to live grace and truth, if everybody hates you, you're not doing it right. But if everybody loves you, you're not doing it right. Because you see this in Christ. Which means in those tension moments, they also become tension moments that become conforming moments. Where Christ has even purposed the tensions we experience, the unsettling that we are going through in order to conform us to Christ. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Again, we are going to dive more deeply into 14 verses 25 through 7, uh, 27. But I want you to see Romans chapter 8 verse 29. This has become dear to me. God inspires Paul to write, For those whom God foreknew... And the word foreknew means to know intimately in advance. He also predestined, preordained to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now the sweetness of this verse is in the English, the word to be, it adds wonderful flow to this. But in the original language, it's simply the sweet statement. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image. Excuse me. For those he foreknew, he also predestined, conformed. Do you see the beauty of the finality and the surety of this? 
You know, God predestined you and me through salvation conformed. Conformed. There will be a complete confirmation. But until that complete, the Father's still working on it now. As Paul would say, I'm working out my salvation. So in this, the experiences the Father creates, those tense moments in your life and in mine, in a world that seems to be perfectly atmospheric for unsettling, the Father has purposes so that we are conformed to the image of Christ. Now let's talk about the image just for a moment. You're going to find Jesus using this word in Matthew chapter 22. Now the religious leaders are trying to catch Jesus off guard with a political question. So they, they say, should we pay taxes? And that's just a hot button, <laughs> even in the first century. Uh, so they want to trap Jesus with this. And Jesus says, go show me a coin. You remember this? He holds up the coin and says, whose image is on this? Same word that Jesus uses, the same word that's used here for us being conformed to the image of Christ. All knew that that image of Caesar had to be pressed in to that coin for it to appear and to stay. And the beauty of what the Father has done by not taking us from this world, but in this world, sanctifying us through His Spirit, by His Word, through the circumstances He's purposed, in those moments He is pressing into us the image of Christ by carrying us with His peace. So I want to talk about that just for a moment. Let's talk about his peace. Now we go back to John chapter 14, verse 27. I want you to look at the pronouns that are there. It was really assuring to me. Jesus is telling the 11 he loves, peace I leave with you. My peace, there it is, my peace I give to you. In contrast, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So now the beauty of this is that Christ is going to give our troubledness his peace. But it's a peace in contrast to what we would normally want or experience in our world. <clears throat> so the pronoun mine helps us with that, my peace. And when you go to Isaiah chapter 9... 700 years before Christ is born, it kind of gives us an idea of what his peace is like. 700 years before he's born, Isaiah, prophet of God, begins to give us a picture of who the Messiah will be and what he'll be like. And he will be, one of the great words, our prince of peace. Prince is royalty. If there's a prince, there's got to be a king. Well, we know that Christ, because the Trinity, is both prince and king. But what I love in Judges chapter 6 is when Gideon is troubled by God because God is wanting to upset his world by using him, it is Gideon who calls God Jehovah Shalom, which is the great I am, is my peace. So the beauty of this is the peace is Christ's. We're living in a time right now with football season uh, coming toward one of those closes in collegiate and pros, and there's always a turnover of coaches during that period. If a coach has not produced wins over a certain period of time, then he is let go. The athletic director begins to look for a new coach to come in. They're not looking just for any coach. They want a coach who has produced wins because they want that winning environment 
in their program. When you talk about the royal peace of Christ, it gives you an idea of the peace that he is extending to you and me. And the greatest picture is in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapters 4 and 5, you have an amazing worship experience. The centerpiece is the appearance of Christ. But you go to chapters 20 and 21, and you have the grand crescendo with all of us there, and you hear in 21 him saying, there will no longer be weeping, no crying, no mourning, no pain, for the former things have passed away. Why wouldn't I want that peace? His peace of His kingdom, which is promised for you and me in the troubles we experience. Now, the difference is the troubles that we experience, we want a peace that is quick. I want a peace that is direct. Uh, For example, I want out of pain, and I want out of pain now. Uh, I want a new job, and I want a new job now. I, I want my children to obey, and I want them to obey now. So, YouTube, give me a video now that shows me how I can get all these things immediately. Well, that is not the way the Father does his peace, not the way Christ does. Because we also see in Christ's peace is that it is continual, not situational. It's not just for the immediate situation. When you go back to verse 27, look at it again. The beauty of verse 27 is the grammar. And we don't see it in the black and white of the English, but it's in the action of the Greek verbs. And this is the beauty of what it says. Peace, I keep on leaving with you. My peace, I keep on giving to you. Beautiful picture of it always being provided regardless of the situation that we are in. One of the pictures that came to mind as I went through this was uh, the woman at the well in John chapter 4. When Christ says, I am your living water, and I'm the living water springing up. It's the picture of an artesian well that is constantly providing and giving. And this is what Christ is saying regarding his peace. It's not just in the situation. I'm always pouring this out on you to carry you through the situations that I've purposed in your life to conform you to me. There. With my peace. So this is the great hinge moment in in this time together. Because right now I've simply shared that in Christ we have his peace constantly provided to us. Regardless of our situation. More than we will ever need. And the great question that comes out of this. The one that I was writing out loud as I was preparing this message is this. Knowing all of this. What in the world is wrong with me. If I as a follower of Christ should be knowing this peace, touching this peace, tasting this peace, experiencing this peace, then why am I not? All right. Here's my encouragement as I had to hug myself for a while. First encouragement is this. Give yourself some grace. One of the things that we will do immediately if we feel troubled in a troubled time is to feel, what's wrong with me? How am I sinning in this? Sometimes it's just the atmosphere we are in that stimulates the trouble in our being. Example, let's go back to Jesus at Lazarus. God purposed 
that troubling of the people in order for God to display the glory of himself in Christ in that. And Christ knew he was going to raise him from the dead. So let me just say it to you this way. Jesus, who is one with and within the Trinity, who foreknew and predestined all things so that we might know him, who created the universe, who walked among us as Emmanuel, God with us, who submitted himself to God and was crucified and rose again, who ascended and sits in heaven as our high priest, interceding to God on our behalf, and never sinned. This same Jesus was troubled seeing those around him grieving over Lazarus. So if the sinless one can experience a troubled being, give yourself some grace. Sometimes the situation just calls for it. It produces it. It doesn't mean you have sinned. But I can say this. I've seen the Holy Spirit used my troubled state to point out areas in my life that needed to be more conformed to Christ. So my next encouragement is give yourself some grace and just submit to the work of the Holy Spirit that He's doing in your life in the troubling time. So what type of work is that? Uh, We're in John chapter 14. This chapter talks about, he opens in verse 27, don't let your heart be troubled. We really haven't gone into the background as to why these guys are even feeling the tension, why they are unsettled. So let me just give you a quick summary of why they are experiencing that. This same night, earlier in the evening, Christ has taken the Passover meal and now has confirmed transformed it and telling them with the bread this is my body and with the wine this is my shed blood for a new covenant they can put the dots together for this to be body and blood shed that means Christ is going to die Uh, he has been with them for three years this is not what they are anticipating what they pictured furthermore earlier in the evening after that Christ has already said one of you is going to betray me And they're already asking each other and asking Christ, is it me? Finally, when Judas is identified and leaves, that's even too much for them to realize. They're they're thinking, well, he's probably going to go pay the bill for tonight. He takes care of all the funds because it's beyond their thinking. But still that night, the one that seems to be the emotional leader among the group, Peter, Christ calls him out and says, do you understand tonight you are going to deny me? That you even know me. So you can see why in all of this, Their hearts are troubled. Everything they had pictured. Now, six days earlier, this was what they really expected. Six days earlier, Christ is coming into Jerusalem on a a donkey and under the canopy of palm fronds and Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There is a great celebration and a receiving of Christ. This is what they pictured. Their idea of the Messiah is he's going to come in and reestablish Israel as a world power like in the time of David. That's our picture. That's our expectation. That's our future. But in one night, Christ has taken everything they pictured and has pulled it out from under them. Can you now imagine why they are so troubled? I can.
Because uh, in those moments, what Christ also purposes is that the Holy Spirit does the conforming. We go back to John chapter 14. Look at verses 25 through 27. Before he talks about the peace, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, these things have I spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So for me to experience the peace that is always being left, always being provided, I need help. And Christ says, I provide my spirit, the helper. The beautiful word for helper, when it's used as a noun in the New Testament, it means one called to your side. Great picture. The Holy Spirit called to our side. More than our side, he's called inside as he fills us. But also when it's used as a verb, it's always meaning to encourage or to exhort. So the very Spirit of God is called to us. Uh, You can do this. Uh, Called to us to say, you understand, I've got this. To encourage us through that. But for me, and this is where it gets personal. And really I struggled whether or not even to share these things. But I think it's right since... We are church family. Uh, In the very moment of tension in my own life, when the Holy Spirit began to conform in ways, he had to take those troubles that he purposed and point to my yoke. I'm doing this hoping that you can connect the dots for yourself. Look at Matthew chapter 11. We'll get back to chapter 14 in John. Matthew chapter 11. Christ is very frustrated with the towns of Chorazim and Bethsaida. He has taught there, he has performed miracles there, and yet they have not repented. And he's letting them know how angry he is over that. But then there seems to be at the last of the chapter an open invitation, an open call. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and following. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Synonymous peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest, peace for your souls, your being, your heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Ever stop and think about being yoked with Jesus? That's what he's saying here. That's what we have experienced in salvation, yoked with Christ. Um, what came to mind was my dad. When he was a boy, his stepdad asked him to help him move a log across the field, and so dad picked up the end and began walking across the field. Halfway through, dad's flimsy legs began to quiver under the weight, and his stepdad noticed it and said, Charles, let's just put it down and rest for a little bit. They put the log down. That's when dad looked back and noticed his dad wasn't at the other end of the log. His dad was in the middle carrying most of the weight. It didn't remove the weight that dad felt. His legs still quivered because it was more than he can handle, but he really wasn't carrying the load. His stepdad was. And this is the beautiful picture of being yoked with Christ. 
Yes, I will still feel as if I can't carry this anymore or this is more than I want to bear. But the reality of it is, with yoked with Christ, that I am being yoked with one, or nothing is too heavy and nothing is too complicated. Now, this is the part where I talk about the Holy Spirit conforming and convicting me through tension. Um, about three years ago, the Father began leading Lori and me through a, a time of prayer with him he was unsettling us uh, about what he wanted with our lives a year and a half ago it became clear from isaiah 43 18 and 19 that he was wanting to do something new with us and out of obedience we stepped away from a church we had loved and served for 18 years fully expecting that within a week maybe a month that something new that new assignment would surface and it didn't. And so as the months became year, year and a half, um, it became evident we couldn't afford our house. So we had to sell a house that we bought in order to retire in and began renting a house because we didn't know what was next and we were trying to manage resources. And I was throwing my fit to the Father. And then it became evident he was pointing to my yoke. He said, Mark, you, you, you really like to plan well and work hard and you like to manage your funds well so that you can fulfill the things that you have planned. So I have removed everything that you can plan and everything that you can manage because you've been trying to pull it yourself and you are not being teamed with me. What was amazing is, and Lori and I can look back now, and all the things that took place during that period of no income. Uh, we had a wedding, birth of our first child, had all of these things, and we still celebrated as if we had income. And yet we look at the finances and look at my checkbook, I still don't know how the Father did it. And it's because I'm teamed with Christ. I'm just telling you up front, it's a humbling thing when the Father begins to point. You're really wanting your situation to change. You're, you're being teamed with a new job. That's your yoke right now. You're being teamed with new this, new that. Instead of realizing, I'll pull you through this. Trust me. The other one that he did was this. Uh, he pointed to my inner Pharisee. Still staying with... Uh, my yoke is easy and burden is light. You've got to understand this history of the yoke. Uh, in Christ's day, when somebody wanted to understand the Jewish law and live a godly life according to the Jewish law, they would get the teaching of the Pharisees. And they called the teaching of the Pharisees being yoked with a Pharisee. You hear that? So where did the Pharisees come from? The Pharisees came from the years between the Testaments, the Old and New Testament. About 100 years before Christ, uh, the Pharisees or these individuals figured out that the reason God's people went through so many cycles of trouble was because they were always disobeying God's law. So the Pharisees, which means separate ones, wanted to be separate ones to live lives separate unto God and obedient. And so they wanted to encourage the Jewish people to do the same. It was very noble. But to help the Jewish people do this, they set up other rules to keep them further away from crossing the line. Like if this was your fence, they put a fence here, a fence here, a fence here, a fence here, just not to cross this one. All of these rules were set up, and over time, those rules were seen as equal to God's law, and the people 
began to look at that because they became measurables. If I obey these rules, then I'm seen as godly with you, and you're seen as godly with me, and we can hold each other accountable by the pressure that we put on each other. Let's talk about the inner Pharisee now. Back to that period of a year and a half, expecting the new assignment to come, but it didn't. Here was my inner Pharisee. I began to think, I shared with my congregation the Father was doing something new. Candidly, the congregation I served at uh, Grove has a TV ministry, and so every Sunday it was either 30 or 60,000 folks in Richmond hearing, oh, he's got a new ministry going. Nothing comes of it. So my mind starts thinking, what are they saying? What are they thinking? He must have not heard God. He's not that godly. Oh, he stepped down because he really just couldn't handle it. He couldn't produce. You know, a lot of these things are moral failings, and so they just sweep those under the rug. I bet there was a moral failing. And all of this is going in my head as it's my inner Pharisee trying to find a way to protect my image. I'm not the only one who has to deal with inner Pharisee. Each one of us can go through a very tense moment in our life and on the outside try to appear as if I've got this. Where on the inside, you are as ringed out as you can be because you're trying to keep up the image. I, I love you. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit is so kind to point to you and point to me and say, do you understand it's not about your image. It's about my image on you. You can't get any better than me looking at you and seeing Christ, my beloved. I've got you and I've got this. So just go on. With all that said, one more thing I want to add. The beauty of the helper. Let's go back to John chapter 14. I want you to look at verse 25 again. When you go back to John 14, what you have to realize is when Christ says, I don't want your heart to be troubled, as he does in 27, it's not the first time he's told his disciples that. He opens the whole chapter saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So this is the second time he's had to repeat to them, don't let your heart be troubled. So when you go to the role of the Holy Spirit, look what his responsibility is in your life and mine. These things have I spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now put in the context of his disciples, and they're thinking within their three years with Christ. You and I knowing that it's Christ and his Spirit that has Breathe this word into existence. All things that he has said is everything about the Father and everything about us and our fallen world. Everything about our standing before Christ now because of Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, all things he brings to mind as our helper and Holy Spirit that in those tense moments, we now hear and speak truth to what really is unraveling our being because of our unraveled world or circumstance we are in. And the beauty of reminding again and again, repeating again and again, is we know in teaching, it's a great tool for learning, repetition. 
But for me, in my mind, it is a great tool for pressing. Let me press this back in. Let me press it back in. Listen, let me just let you know I'm shaping you, conforming you. Christ, this is what is true. Let's say it again. Beauty of the Spirit doing that. I had an administrative assistant at a church I served in Texas. She was older than me. And my boys at that time were in preschool. And her boys were either about to leave the house or had. Her husband had an illness that prevented him from work. So in this season of life, I remember one day she just broke the silence. She said, honestly, I know the father won't give me more than I can handle, but right now he has a higher opinion of me than I do. And I wish I had this understanding then to be able to say to her at that moment, it's not that he has a higher view of you. He knows you perfectly. It's that he has such a high view of his peace. He has such a perfect view of his activity in conforming you to Christ. He has a perfect view that he is constantly pouring in what is true to you. That you will hear it. Make it your own. Be pressed in. So, trust what he trusts and knows about himself and what he's doing. With all that said, here's this last little bit. We've talked a lot about Christ's peace. That he doesn't remove us from circumstances that stimulate unrest. Instead, he gives us himself and his peace in those moments. And we even talked about how the Holy Spirit is at work in us so that he is conforming us during those moments through his peace. So this is my last question. What do you do now with what you've heard? Because candidly, I probably have preached to you a longer sermon than I've normally preached. And I've had a lot more to say than I've normally said. So with all that you've heard, what are you going to do with it? In your context right now, with the unsettling that you are experiencing, who are you looking for to pull you through this? Is it your own will? Is it your own intellect? Is it your own work ethic? Is it somebody else to make a decision for you? If they would just make that decision, be fine. Who are you looking for for the peace? Are you resting that Christ has already given it to you and he's in charge of this and reminding you what's true? So for me, my encouragement is breathe. Breathe. Christ is still at work. Nothing in your life has been a surprise. He is revealing himself to you in the circumstances that he has purposed. Breathe and trust that the Holy Spirit is doing a conforming work in you in this and even in the midst of it is reminding you of such sweet truths of Christ that even in the midst of the trouble you can experience moments of calm. Trusting him. I love you and also ask you to do this. Help me out when my inner, inner Pharisee starts showing again. And help me out when I start trying to pull my own yoke instead of being yoked with Christ. Speak into me and hold me accountable. We need each other for that. All right? I love you all. Let's pray together.
thank you, Father, that your word is alive. It does not return empty. When it goes out, it accomplishes your desires. I pray, Father, as I hope that we have washed ourselves as your bride with your word. That we can be more radiant, holy, and beautiful in your sight. Thank you for persistently loving us. Thank you even for purposing the hard seasons as revealing and conforming seasons. Thank you for those moments in the hard that you reveal how amazing you are. We trust you. Father, thank you for persisting and continuing to leave us with your peace that you keep on not day by day but minute by minute giving us your peace may we rest in you and all that you have said for it is all true we love you father in Jesus name I pray heads bowed right now just keep praying I'm going to give you that chance to, as I said what do you want to do with what you've heard process this in prayer something that became tangible and relatable to what you're going through make it a matter of prayer process it and speak it to the Father this is what I've heard you say today and I know this is true Father here is also what I'm experiencing today and I know you know that's true so use this time in prayer You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Mark Becton at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.